just got to share some general stuff. You know, how many of you know when you read the New Testament, you see a lot of supernatural activity, you see salvation, you see healing, you see deliverance. And how many of you know that's the book of Acts? And we're living in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and so the fruit of our lives should be similar to what we read in the Bible. We should not find theologies to explain away our lack of intimacy with God and the lack of power in our lives. So we need to press in for more, not settle for less. And I just want to encourage you, part of what we're contending for is a breaking out of God's power to deal with the situations that we're facing in the world today. And, uh, and so I'm just telling you, how many of you have heard of uh, James Robinson, the, the TV uh, minister? He, he told a story, and I don't understand, again, the workings of God. You know, there's, a, there's a, a mysterious aspect to following a supernatural God, all right? And you have to live in comfortability with the supernatural and with, with the mysterious. In other words, we don't know all the answers. But he shares a story, again, growing up in a Baptist tradition where... Uh, there was not much expectation for physical healing. That kind of was out with the apostles, at least in his tradition. That's not every Baptist tradition, but that was his tradition. And then he experienced a powerful encounter with Jesus, a powerful baptism in the Spirit, and a powerful deliverance in his own life uh, from a spirit of lust. And he talks about in a season in his ministry where almost every single person that they prayed for in those settings got healed. It was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now you know when the, this is what we're after. It was an unusual outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where God was healing people like crazy. Now, as a pastor, you know you're burdened with the, the needs of the sheep because you know what's going on in people's lives. And how I many you know none of us, none of us want to see one of our brothers or sisters suffering with a life-threatening illness or something like this. It breaks our heart. And I just want to say this: if it breaks our heart, what do you think it does to the Lord's heart? And so, number one, we need to keep praying. Number two, we need to keep fighting and contending. Number three, we need to live, live in the realm of mystery because we don't understand everything. But I just have to tell you, we've had a couple of situations. One, a situation uh, where we're dealing with cancer, where the concern was that it was spreading through the whole body. Uh, we got news that the cancer has not spread and actually that it's going in the opposite direction. And that's, a, that's an amazing, amazing testimony. We had another situation with a man who was dealing with blood cancer, uh, a type of leukemia, and um, was basically given a, a death sentence, had about five years to live. And uh, he went to the University of Chicago this last week to get everything checked out, and the doctors were stunned. He also came to our week one, and I just got to encourage you, stay hungry for God. You can't, sometimes the people who show up are the people who get touched. And the people who have other things to do just somehow miss the touch of God. There's an element of hunger, and I'm going to talk about that today that is so important. So his family and friends said, you need to show up at week one and go after God. And he went up for prayer. And there was some powerful word of knowledge over his life, a gift of the Holy Spirit. And he went up to the University of Chicago, and they checked his blood, and they said, something's got to be wrong. We have never seen this ever. They, they said, they said, 
They said, your, your situation must be in remission. Yeah, like complete remission until Jesus comes remission is what we're believing about. But he, he just broke down and started weeping because he's been through such an incredible battle. But the, but the doctor said this is not the way it was supposed to be. They basically had given him five years to live. He was flying out to see his children who live uh, down south, and he wanted to tell them what God is doing in his life. Now, how many of you... How many of you would like to see more of that? That's what I'm talking about. So I'm just wanting to whet your appetite. Hey, Pastor, how come so-and-so got prayed for and they're still dealing with whatever? I don't know. I don't know. That is out of my pay grade. But I'll tell you this. We're going to keep praying and keep, and keep fighting and keep believing and keep pressing in. Because I guarantee you, we have not even begun to taste the fullness of what God wants to do in our lives or in our church family. All right, so get your Bibles open to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 34. In the last few weeks, and I hope I established this point for us, I'm trying to equip you guys and myself so that we win in life. Amen? We're supposed to be victorious. I mean, you know, we're not home yet, so we have a lot of things that we all face every single week, challenges. But how many of you know, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us from them all. We are called to be victorious. We don't, we're not exempt from problems, but we reign in life through Jesus Christ. And we're learning to reign in life. And so there's weapons that God has given to us that help us win. And again, I feel like a coach this morning. If you're in a church and you have a losing culture and everybody feels like, oh, well, whatever. Don't, you know, Some churches have a losing culture. This is not a losing culture. This is a winning culture. All right? And, uh, and, and we're going to learn to fight and we're going to learn to fight for breakthrough and we're going to win. All right? Why can I say that? Because Jesus has already won the victory. And I don't know about you, but I'm with him. How about you? Who are you guys lining up? I'm on Jesus, Team Jesus, all right? That's, a, that's the team I want to be on. So Jesus said three things. When you give, and I challenged you last week, if you want to move in the supernatural blessing and provision of God, it won't happen until you obey God and you begin to give. Obey God. Give him the first and give him the best. No matter what season you're in, he gets the first. Please hear me. You will go through lean seasons. Give him the first and watch him move supernaturally. Don't ever rob God, ever. That's a weapon because you can't do anything without provision. But if you have provision, you can do whatever God's called you to do. And you can't bless anybody if you're broke. So the purpose of provision is not so I can lavish it on myself, it's so that I can be used by God to be a conduit of blessing to other people. Yes. And so we're going to be givers, amen? Yes. We're also going to be prayers yes. because prayer is the means by which we connect to the heart of God and prayer is the, is the avenue by which my independence and pride are absolutely slain. People who don't pray are people who are, are self-sufficient and prideful, myself included, all right? I'm not preaching at you. 
If we have no time to talk to God or to bring our needs to God, then, we're, then we don't need God. So we're functioning practically as atheists. And then we wonder why God's not moving in our lives. Uh, we, don't, we act like we don't need him. No, prayer says, God, help. I need you. And if you don't need him personally because your life's pretty good, then why don't you stand in the gap for people around you who need him? There's always somebody to pray for. There's always some need to intercede before the throne and to go after that request before the Lord. The third area, when you fast. When you fast. This has got to become a regular part of our lives. And I'm going to make a case for it today. That's why I'm so excited. I, I think the devil gets incredibly worried when the church comes together corporately on a fast to seek more of Jesus. We are setting ourselves up right now. We are aligning ourselves this year for the blessing of God. And can I just say this? Every single time when the Bible says when you give, when you pray, when you fast, the same promise is attached to every single one of those wins. God says, you do that in private. I'm going to reward you openly. There should be an expectation for breakthrough in our hearts as we're, as we're moving into this year. We're not just going through religious motions. We're not just having our quiet time, reading our Bibles, saying a nice prayer, giving up sugar for a day, whatever. No, no these are not little religious gimmicks. We're, we're pressing in for something. There's, we're believing God for more. We're asking God for more of his presence. And how many of you know God honors faith? So when we're saying, God, we must have more, God's like, oh, I have more. I'm infinite. Please keep asking me for more. Because an infinite God loves it when we recognize our finiteness and we say, we need help, Lord. And so those three things are weapons. Now, I want to give you another reason why fasting is so critical. And I'm not going to spend the whole month on fasting alone. We're going to talk about prayer as well. But I'm going to talk today about how fasting is a means for intensifying spiritual hunger. Intensifying spiritual hunger. And I want you to see that your heart and the, and the passion of your heart for Jesus is something that has to be nurtured and protected and fueled. Uh, lest you drift away. Anybody ever have a problem drifting away? All right, I think we all have. Take a look at Luke 5. We touched on this last week. One day some people said to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always partying? All right, eating and drinking. Jesus responded, do the wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. What this passage seems to indicate is that fasting is a way of expressing our longing for the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, our King, to return. So we're living in a season now when the wedding uh, is coming, all right? Jesus is going to return. We're separated from him right now. This is the season for fasting. And this is the season to express a longing for the return of Christ and for the fullness of his presence to come, the fullness of his kingdom. But I want you to see something because this is really good. We're not just longing and aching for something that's in the future. How many of you in this room have already been born again? You've experienced the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life, all right? You've tasted of the things to come. You, you've encountered the Lord. He's changed your life. You don't know what I'm talking about. In other words, 
we already have a foretaste of what's coming. And I don't know about you, but if somebody gives you a sample of an amazing piece of pie or whatever, and they say, hey, this is for dessert after dinner, but we just let you sample it now. How many of you know you're pretty excited for dessert, all right? The foretaste has been the born-again experience that you have with Christ. The moments when we're in worship like today and you sense the power of his presence, you sense his glory, those are things that give you a, a taste of the fullness of what's about to come. And how many of you know if you've experienced any of the Lord, taste, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yes. Why is he good? It whets our appetite. If something's good, you want more of it. And so the whole point of salvation is it's a wetting our appetite of the fullness of what's to come when our bridegroom king returns. And so let's take a look at the important role of fasting in creating spiritual desire. Here's my question to you. Why would God, who's all-wise and all-powerful, create us as human beings to have a need for food and water? How I many of it would have been great if he just would have made us like we don't need food and water. We just go all the time. Wouldn't that be great? We wouldn't have to go shopping, buy groceries, prepare meals. But think about this. He made us to hunger. And he made us to thirst. And in fact, you have a reminder. Anybody put reminders? My wife, my wife, I love her. She puts reminders on her phone. Her phone's going all day long. Bing, bing, bing. What's that? Oh, I'm supposed to go get groceries. Okay, bing, bing, bing. I've got to pay this bill. Bing, bing. And aren't you glad you got reminders, all right? Your belly <laughs> reminds you that if you don't eat, you will die. <laughs> I'm serious. If your stomach would not growl, we would probably get preoccupied with other things, and we would not eat, and we would die. How many of you have been driving down the highway, and you notice, oh, I need to get gas? But you don't stop to get gas because you can squeeze out a few more miles. <laughs> I remember a time when my lovely wife and I were driving a, a new car that we had been blessed with. And we were unfamiliar with it. And the little light came on, little fuel light. And we thought, oh, we can get to the next exit. Well, we were walking hand in hand down the highway to the, <laughs> to the next exit to get the gas. Because a little light came on and said, the car said, I need gas. I need gasoline to function. Your belly says, I need food to function. It's a reminder that if you don't get food, you're going to die. All right? Now, here's, here's the important teaching here. The Bible says that our appetites were actually designed to point us to God and to remind us of three things. Number one, who we are. Number two, why we're here. And number three, where we're headed. I want you to see this. How does my appetite or how does my thirst help me keep my priorities right? When I'm on a fast and my stomach is rumbling and saying, hey, feed me, feed me, what it reminds me of is there's a greater reality that my belly is pointing me to, all right? Let me help you with that greater reality. The Bible says in Colossians 1.16, all things were created by Christ and for Christ, John 6, 35, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. John 7, 37 and 38, he calls himself the living water. So here's the point. Food and water are designed to point us to Jesus, the greater reality. So when you're pushing away food for a season and your stomach's letting you know, hey, you need to give me some of that. 
What you need to say is, stomach, you do not control my life. You are not the reason I exist. You help me exist, but I exist for a greater purpose. And my stomach points me to the one to whom I should be hungering most for, and that's Jesus Christ. When you're thirsty, you're reminded that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. When you're thirsty, you realize Jesus is the living water that wants to spring up from within us, and you realize you're not here just to eat. The eating is for a greater purpose. The eating is for the glory of God. The eating is because you know who you are, why you're here, and where you're going, and food and drink have to serve a purpose in the larger purpose, if that makes sense. I want you to think about something, which is pretty amazing. The first thing that Jesus felt for us as a human being taking on our humanity, the first thing he felt was hunger. I mean, you know, what do babies do early on in life? When they arrive, they start letting you know, feed me. Well, that's what Jesus did. He said, feed me. He was hungry as a baby. What was the last thing Jesus felt on the cross for us? Thirst. Isn't it interesting that in identifying with our humanity, he first of all felt our hunger, and lastly, he experienced what it's like to need thirst, to, to need something to drink. So hunger is one of the appetites we've been given by God. A growing belly is good. It tells me that I need to eat, and without food, I'm going to die. But my appetite for food is simply a tool that keeps me alive. Without hunger, I wouldn't be reminded of my need to eat. So here's the deal. We're, we're telling, and I, I got up this morning, uh, and it was cold, and it was dark, but it was so quiet. And I put my face mask on all the way up to here. I walked my way down here. All you could hear was the crunching of the snow under your feet. And this is what I did because nobody was awake but Jesus and me, at least on my street. And I said, Jesus, we love you more than life itself. We love you more than food and drink. You are worthy. Fill our church with your glory, Lord. It was so awesome. Those moments when it's quiet like that. So here's the point. The problem's not that we desire or that we hunger. That's a God-given desire. But the problem lies with what we do with our desires. Listen to what Job said. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. Oh, isn't that good? I've treasured his words more than daily food. That's what I'm talking about. Is there a desire in your heart to hear the Lord, to know the Lord, to be in the center of God's plan? Is it a burning passion in your heart? I don't know how many of you were watching last night, all the football fans in here, but Kansas City and the Dolphins had a game last night. And uh, in Kansas City, it was a little chilly. It was about 30 below zero with wind chill. Now, I bet you all were probably thinking the same thing I was, tongue-in-cheek, that the stadium was probably empty because who would go sit and watch a football game 30 below zero? Only 76,000 people. 76,000 people. And I was talking to Dick Sabell because Dick Sabell and I always communicate about sports on a regular basis, and he looked at me today and said, Pastor, would you go to that game? I said, absolutely not. In my younger years, I might have done that. But I am content at this season of my life to sit in the comfort of my home, turn on my fireplace, and watch that game. Now, here's my point. I never want to condemn people for being passionate about certain things. 
You'll find some pastors, they would condemn people like, look, look at all those people, 76,000 people going to that football game. No, there's nothing the matter with 76,000 people going to a football game, even when it's 30 below zero. But he, here's the point I'm getting at. Is your passion for Jesus greater than your passion for the chiefs? Now, your passion for the chiefs, is there's no problem with that. Man, you got the war paint on, and you got the, the, all the gear on. Some people had their shirts off. Ooh, and those people need their brains examined. But my point is this, I don't have a problem with that guy as long as on Sunday morning he's like right here at the altar bringing the same fire he had at the game for Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. In fact, I appreciate people who are passionate. I mean, just be, what are you, be passionate about something, right? We only have one life to live. It's your desires that move you. Nobody would do anything without desire. So don't ever think that desire is bad. Praise God for desire. Praise God for desire. Nothing gets done in life without desire. The problem is not wanting something too much. The problem is wanting the wrong things and having displaced desire or misplaced desire. That's the problem. John Piper said this, what we hunger for most, we worship. So here's the sad thing. For many of the 76,000 people, that was their worship experience. And my dad used to make people nervous because he'd say things like this from the pulpit. In fact, we have one family, I won't mention their names, but they left Livingstones for about a decade because he scared them so bad with his comment one Sunday. And I said, where were you? He goes, your dad scared us. We didn't come back till later. <laughs> because this is what my dad said. Show me your checkbook. And I'll show you what you worship. Show me your checkbook. I'll show you what you worship. <laughs> Ain't going to look at my checkbook. Now, he wasn't chasing you down, stealing your checkbook or anything like that. But the point is true. Figure out where you spend the most money, and it would be an indication of what you value. doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, can I just say this? The problem with our desires is not that we desire evil things. Our problem is that we take God's good gifts and we make his good gifts more important than him. Most of us are not going to go out and rob banks and be sex traffickers and all this kind of... No, we're not going to do all that kind of evil stuff. But we'll replace God in our lives with a million other good things. And that's the, that's the dangerous nature of, of walking with God and keeping our hearts right before him. The Bible said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. You know, here's why hungering for God is so important. This kind of hunger will save you from spiritual starvation, first of all. If you don't have a hunger for God, you won't eat. And if you won't eat, you'll starve yourself spiritually. So let me just ask you a question. Do you have a hunger to worship? Like, I don't know about you, but this is my favorite day of the week. Part of it is because you all show up and we get to worship Jesus together. But I love worshiping Jesus. Anybody, anybody with me? Let me just say this. If there was no hunger to worship Jesus, 
you would be starving yourself spiritually. You would be emaciated. How about the Word of God? Are you excited about diving in, learning, growing, studying, eating? If there's no hunger for the Word of God, then you're starving to death spiritually. Does this make sense? Do you care about each other and the body of Christ? Does being with God's people bring you encouragement and joy and blessing? Of course it does. The worst thing we can be is isolated and alone. We need each other. So is there a hunger to be together with God's people? I hope you say yes, 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 yes. Because if you lose your appetite for these things, you'll spiritually starve to death. And the least problem with spiritually starving to death is you'll waste your life and you'll miss the purpose for your existence. But the greatest problem of starving to death is eternal separation from God. People go to hell. People go to hell because they love other things and they hunger for other things more than they hunger for their relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the tragedy. So fasting is really a test to see what controls you. Now look with me at Philippians chapter 3. I want to start with verse 17. Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. What a bold statement from a man of God. How I many you know that should be the, the pattern for every single one of us as we mature? Can you turn to a younger believer and say, follow me. Do what I do, and you'll get the same results that I've got. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it, by Paul? Pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I'll say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross. Notice it says conduct, not their beliefs. It doesn't matter what you say you believe. What do you do? How do you live your life? How do you spend your days? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? What are you doing with your life? It's not what you say you believe. It's your conduct that matters. Look at why they're enemies of the cross. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. King James says their belly. They brag about doing shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. And Paul calls them enemies of the cross. Think about the people in the Bible who are examples of people who live for their belly or their carnal appetite. How about Esau who sold his birthright for a quick, for a quick lunch? How about Samson who squandered the anointing of God on his life with lust and perversion because he couldn't control his appetites? How about the children of Israel in the desert wandering around murmuring about take me back to Egypt when things were really good? They lost. That whole generation died in the desert. Why? Because their, their God was their belly. You know, it's not just talking about food. It's telling me, you know, the biggest problem with me having more of Jesus is I'm too full of myself. I'm too full of myself. So fasting has a way of reminding me what's controlling my life. What's controlling my life? The Apostle Paul said it this way, I'm not going to be dominated by anything. I'm not going to be enslaved by anything. So I'm asking you this question with, with myself. What are you learning about yourself? Where are your weaknesses? You know, I had somebody tell me one time, 
because I told you at Living Stones, and this is not an indictment on anybody. We've got some folks homesick today, some people who are elderly, and they made a good call to stay home. So we've got some with little kids and some that live a long way away, and there's always good reasons. But one time we, we kept a certain meeting at our church, and one of our members got really, really offended that we were actually having whatever the meeting was because it was really cold outside. And then he called me up a day later, repenting, and I didn't even know anything. He had to fill me in on what was going on in his heart, but this is what he said. He said, I was so mad that you kept that, whatever that meeting was, prayer meeting or whatever meeting, and he goes, then the Holy Spirit said to me, if your son had a basketball game that night, you wouldn't have thought twice about being there. And you know, it's the truth. People will sit out in 30 below zero temperature for three hours to watch a football game. But they'll stay home the next day because it's cold. And, and they, they got to play it safe. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to live my life playing it safe. What does that mean? Play it safe. Why don't we just be all in? Why don't we just go hard after God? all the time, as much as we can, and not looking at other people. I'm not, I'm not saying this to condemn anybody. I'm just saying this, that, that you know what, we, we make these lame excuses when it comes to godliness, and, we, and here's what it is. It's a fleshly indulgence. It's a fleshly indulgence. Who wants to get up any morning and go out and start your car when the wind hits your face and it hurts? I had to take my dogs out to pee this morning. I just felt like saying, just go right here in the house, all right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I can wipe it up. I'm out freezing my you-know-what off, standing there with two dogs, waiting for them. They're sniffing everywhere. And I'm like, will you just pee and get in the house? <laughs> my point is, your flesh always has this loud voice telling you, to do the opposite of what you know you should be doing. So how do you put that sucker in his place? You got to kill him. And you got to say, you're not in charge. We are going to go and worship. We are going to be in the word. We're going to get out of bed and seek the Lord. We're going to do a lot of things our flesh doesn't want to do. And thank God I'm not ruled by my flesh because I would be a spiritual sissy getting absolutely nothing accomplished and I'd waste my life. And other people would suffer because of my sissiness. All right? I don't know if that's a biblical word, but it's a good word. <laughs> my softness. Jesus tells a story in Luke 14. He said, a man prepared a great feast, and he sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. Have you ever been there? One said, I've just bought a field. i got to go check it out. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, let me just ask you a question. Is real estate investment or agricultural investment or marital investment, are any of these things wicked in and of themselves? They're all good things, but they're not the best thing. They're not the best thing. And so they all made excuses on why they couldn't come to the banquet. 
And it broke the Lord's heart. And he said, you know, he was angry with those people. And then he said, go out into the highways and byways and invite who's ever hungry, whoever wants to come. Invite them. Because obviously the ones I thought should be here were too busy with other things. Psalm 73, verse 26 says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Do you know how personal this is? It's not he's my dad's, he's my mom's, he's my pastor's. Can you say with your own lips, Jesus Christ is mine forever. He is the strength of my heart. I want him more than anything. I love him more than life itself. I desire him more than anything on earth. That's the cry of the psalmist. And I love what Matthew Henry said. He said, fasting puts an edge on our devout affections. I'm just saying we're 14 days into this fast. The hardest part is the beginning. Once you get into a groove, you start experiencing supernatural grace But I'm just telling you, I feel so in the zone right now. I feel so fresh right now. My heart is so alive right now. My mind is sharper than it has been in the past. Praise God for you and for me right now. Because fasting puts an edge on your sword that can grow dull. And I want to encourage you, if you're ever spiritually lukewarm, or you feel distant, or you find fleshly desires taking dominion over you, then just slap your flesh silly with a good fast. And you tell your flesh, you are not going to control my life. You're not going to ruin the anointing on my life, the destiny on my life, the calling on my life. I am not going to let you mess up what God intends for me. I will maximize my days here on earth. Now, we're going to take communion right now and celebrate the Lord's Supper. So I want the worship team to come on and back up here and I want the I want the ushers to help out anybody who didn't uh, get a communion communion elements baby you got mine or you got an extra one for me why don't you come on up here with me too whoa aren't you glad Jesus doesn't Ask us to do anything that he is not already doing in advance. Now, let me ask you this question. What about fasting? We know Jesus fasted on earth, right? In fact, he started his public ministry with a 40-day fast. And I told you how important it was in fasting uh, as a weapon, all right, as a weapon. But I'm asking you this question. What's Jesus doing right now? Where is he at? He's at the Father's right hand. What's he doing? He's interceding for us. He's our high priest. And I want to show you a passage that maybe you've never seen before in light of fasting, all right? This is Matthew chapter 26, and I want you to read along with me beginning uh, in verse 26. It says, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces, and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, "This, uh, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. 
And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he, he gave it to them and he said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And look at verse 29. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What's Jesus doing right now? He's fasting. Because you know what's in the heart of Jesus? is homesickness for his bride. Homesickness for his bride. And so when we take communion, it's a reminder that Jesus is abstaining until a marriage supper that's coming. And then he will drink again. But in the meantime, this is what he's doing. He's pushing away what's good and legitimate for what's greater. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Because what was set before him was you and me. And what's he doing right now? He's praying for us and interceding for us and fighting for us. And cheering us on so that we all finish well. Why does he want us to finish well? Because he died for you. And he died for me. And so we're eating today as a reminder that there's a big feast coming. This is the appetizer. There's a big party coming. Stand to your feet with me, will you please? And if you've got your spouse, man, if you've got your wife next to you, put your arm around her because I want you to lead your family. Can we just take the bread into our hands? Jesus, we thank you that this is a picture of bread. You're the true bread, Lord, the bread from heaven. Without you, our lives are nothing. Without you, we starve to death. We die. We spend eternity separated from you. But, Lord, we eat of you because you're life itself. And so, Jesus, as the bread of life, we bless you. We ask you to bless this communion as we partake of it now. And, Lord, we say we're not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Let's go ahead and eat the Lord's Supper together. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Let's go ahead and take the drink, the wine. Jesus, we pause to reflect on what you did for us on the cross, beaten beyond recognition, hungering and thirsting for us, doing without, taking on our sin so that we could be free. Lord, when that invitation comes out to come to the wedding, God, may we not be so busy with our stuff that we forget why we're here or who we're here for. And so, Jesus, drive out our selfishness and drive out the busyness and drive out the things that are so full in our lives that crowd you out. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. And, Jesus, as we drink this cup, we're mindful that you're not drinking a cup right now. You're waiting, patiently waiting, anxiously waiting, excited, expectantly waiting 
for us. Oh, think about that. Think about personalize that. He's waiting for you. He loves you. He's passionate about you. He can't wait to be with you. Wow. Thank you for your blood. And thank you, Lord, for fighting for us and for our hearts. Lord, may we be able to say, we love you more than life itself. Let's go ahead and drink to that end. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now join with me, will you? Part of the full benefit of the cross and the blood was salvation and healing and deliverance. Father, we thank you for the healing that we're hearing, the reports of healing. And Lord, we keep asking for more. Lord, pour out your glory. Pour out your power. Lord, heal bodies. Heal marriages. Heal relationships, Lord. We thank you. We're having sons and daughters who have been estranged from you. They're coming home. We thank you for family members who are lost, who are coming home this year. We thank you, Lord, for those that have been oppressed, addicted, in bondage. We break the power of that bondage off of their lives, and we thank you that the cross of Jesus Christ gives us the authority to break chains. And so, Lord, thank you for freedom this year. We declare it over our church. We thank you for an ever-increasing flow of your glory and your presence in this place. We thank you, Lord, you're blowing out the stops in the nations this year for all the new Roar schools, for unreached peoples that are going to hear about Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for right here in our backyard that this will be an epicenter of harvest, Lord. God, we're excited. We thank you for supernatural provision. We thank you for the building being completed. We thank you for this year. We look forward to an exciting dedication of that facility, Lord. We thank you for all the stories that you're going to write this year, Lord. You've actually already written them, but we get to experience them in time and in space. Lord, it's so awesome to be your sons and daughters. And I would just say this right now. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, we want to pray for you. Our team will be up front. It's really easy. Come on down and say, you know what, I, I want to give my life to Christ. Or if you just want prayer for fresh fire in your heart. Maybe you felt distant or cold. We would love to lay hands on you and bless you and pray for holy fire to ignite the altar of your heart. Gasoline from heaven on the altar of your heart. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Give us safety, Lord, as we come and go today. We just thank you for the warmth of the fellowship that was here this morning. We pray blessing on your people both here and those that are watching online. And Father, we just give you all the glory and praise. Thank you for a week of victory, Lord. Thank you for stories and breakthrough and testimonies about all the things that you're doing, God. We love you and we honor you. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Come on, let's give him a shout of praise. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Amen. Love you all. We'll see you later.